You're listening to The Bev Moore Show, broadcasting on the iHeart Network worldwide. I would like to welcome my guest, Marlon Dara, who is perhaps the world's most traveled filmmaker. Marlon's 40 years of award-winning production experience have taken him to more than 140 countries worldwide with more than 90 documentary and travel adventure programs to date. His experiences have been, shall we say, a little edgy. Welcome to the show, Marlon. Well, pleasure to be here, Beth. Thank you. Marlon, let's start with some of your experiences. I mean, we both agreed you have way too much to cover in one episode. <laughs> But, yeah, but we'll highlight a few on this interview to give everyone just a little taste. Um, I'm just going to highlight a couple, and then I want you just to take one of those and just reach out and tell us more. But one of them, you had breakfast with cannibals in New Guinea uh, and dinner with assassins in Pakistan, and then... You've been knife attacked by an old woman in China, <laughs> and then and then then the filmmaking. You've been questioned or arrested in a couple of dozen countries, from Cuba to Russia <laughs> to Egypt. And, yes. I mean, this is this is like watching a mini series. It's like <laughs> on and on and on. It's it's amazing just to read your bio. And we're not even well, getting you. into a docu docu series or anything there. So I want you to just to grab one of these stories and just tell the audience about it, about your experience. Oh, I'd love to. Thank you very much. And uh, again, very brief introduction to what I've been doing. It's uh, as you mentioned, it's been about forty forty five years of traveling to about 145 countries or so and making documentaries, travel adventure programs, and feature films. So it's been exciting, you know, and I always believe from the very beginning that uh, it's best to try to write the, the greatest, the best story you can of your life. Uh, write your own script so that no one else can write it. And I mean by like a, a company you might be working for or a corporation or something. So I always Wanted to go individual, rogue, if you will, making these independent programs around the world, these documentaries, these feature films, and try to share some of the uh, oh lesser-known uh, facts and figures and, and, and also vistas and people and cultures, share those images with people in a sort of National Geographic way, but hopefully with my own signature as well. And I always wanted to be a part of National Geographic. And in fact, uh, thousands of my shots are represented by National Geographic. Right now, thousands of my uh, motion shots. And But I was always uh, too far away from uh, the offices of National Geographic in Washington, D.C. to actually be uh, feel like I was uh, possible uh, you know, to be hired by them. So I, I was living in Oregon, raised in Oregon, which is a long, long way, of course, from uh, Washington, D.C. And so I decided, though, when I was 20, right out of college, just to go ahead and be my own version of a National Geographic and to try to see as many countries and places around the world as I possibly could in this lifetime that we have. So well, that's what I set about doing. And so that segues into 
one of the stories I think of uh, of these travels that I've done and productions I've done. Uh, several stand out very strongly, but of course one of them has to do with uh, the island of New Guinea. And uh, there are, are many tribal groups, of course, spread uh, throughout the island. And some are not very much contacted by uh, Westerners. Uh, there's the Azmat uh, tribal group, which is on the, uh, the western part of the island, in a place called the Flamingo Bay, which is where Michael Rockefeller disappeared in 1961. He was collecting uh, different artifacts and things for a museum, mm -hmm. and then he disappeared and possibly could have been uh, cannibalized by the people there because they have a long tradition of cannibalism in that part of the world. So I went there uh, several years ago and, and to do a documentary travel adventure show, and uh, that's where I met many hereditary uh, people that were headhunters, cannibals, and it was a rite of passage to, uh, to fight in battle and take ahead of uh, one of your opponents. And then... Uh, uh, sleep with that head for three nights and absorb hopefully the power of that warrior that you fought and that was a, like a rite of passage for a young warrior to do that in uh, in this tribal group the Azmat in New Guinea so that was very interesting to meet those people that were had known and had experienced uh, head hunting and cannibalism and that was and we we're meeting people in in New Guinea on the island of New Guinea that had not had any real contact except for an anthropologist with Westerners. And so the kids would run uh, when I would approach, you know, the village in the jungle there. And uh, I have that effect on many uh, children and people around the world. They run from me. No, that's not true. But uh, oh they, they, were, they were afraid because they, they, thought, they thought I was from the land of the dead because I was so white, you know. And, and so, oh so they God. thought. I was going to uh, say, why are you making them run? Uh, what is it? What are you doing to these people? <laughs> I think, uh, yeah. What 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 am I doing here? It's 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 interesting yeah. as you travel around the world in this way. It's like the circus coming to town, or perhaps a horror show coming to town. Because in this case, <laughs> right. again, they, they'd not they'd not seen so uh, such a, a lily white flesh. Uh, I guess uh, traveler like that so much, and so they thought for sure right. somebody was visiting from the dead. So they ran and. They were living in tree houses up uh, about 30 feet high, so you'd have to climb up a pole to get to their tree house. And they just, it's just such a fascinating experience to visit people like that because it really puts a perspective on your life. You're listening to The Bev Moore Show, and we'll be right back after the break. Out for some lays and you face a test. Which tasty chip will be the best? Sour cream, salt, and vinegar, too. You sample them all, cause the crisp is so good on your lips. Yeah. You left your wallet at home, but now you have a new best friend. The many flavors of Lay's chips. One taste, and you're in love. I can't hide myself. I don't expect you to understand. I just hope I can explain. What it's like to be a man It's a lonely road And they don't care about what you know It's not about how you feel But what you provide inside that home 
Being a man is what you make it You can't always live up to expectations You try to please everybody while you struggle so you fake it And end up out of balance, compromising situations As a good man, uh, do what he should, man I give everything he has and do everything he could, man You might find yourself feeling all alone Inside a house you built that you don't recognize as home and that's what my daddy told me And I'll tell my son the same Now that I'm older I relate And I actually feel his pain He never cried, he might have lied But he did not complain And he said, son, one day you'll have to do the same I get emotional when I stop and think And I look around Beyond the county lines of my small town I think about all the men out there Who feel like I do now Who are screaming on the inside But won't ever make I a sound don't expect you to understand I just hope I can explain What it's like to be a man It's a lonely road And they don't care about what you know It's not about how you feel But what you provide inside that home Don't give up, keep fighting as a man, our sun is our horizon And our father's actions play a role And we end up like them So they can't let us see them hurt Cause we'll embody what they do And start a generational curse No wonder most men are so depressed All the things that they can't express They go to war, get thrown on the shelf Then go back to war with their mental health Then grab that bottle and ask for help Try to pull themselves out of hell Then fall back down and then realize That they're gonna have to do it themselves It's the circle of life as a man aware their world was round. They didn't exactly know much about the, anything about the outside world. They were afraid of being raided by a, a tribal group, uh, maybe, you know, 10 miles away or, or 15 miles away, because that's still a part of their life is, is raiding. And uh, sometimes uh, women would be abducted from their own group or they were looking for other sort of resources, if you will. Uh, so there's there's an interesting basic level about humanity there that you can learn a lot from regarding their instincts and their uh, needs in life. And uh, they were essentially walking around uh, naked, which was natural for them to do. There's no reason not to in that way because um, when missionaries give them clothes in that area, they don't often wash the clothes. So it's not exactly a real positive to have clothes. They're not really aware 
of the bacteria that can can grow on these things and so it's uh and they develop skin diseases sometimes from clothes that are donated so it's a uh, it's really fascinating to visit these people and there's still some of these uh, groups around the world in jungles uh, throughout the world that uh, are fairly unvisited untouched still in the amazon in particular and parts of new guinea i suppose but it is uh it's just one of the things that uh, made life so fascinating was visiting peoples like that. Oh my gosh! I mean, I would love it. I would just yeah. love to travel the world like that. It was—it's a dream of mine. Yeah, great. Yeah. And and that's the thing. I think a lot of people want to do that. Uh, it's there's a combination of factors why we can't. Often it's because of obligations with families, obligations with jobs, uh, just not really having the money and time to do it uh, is often really the case. And it's something that I was just determined uh, from the very beginning in my early 20s to not try to get too bound up with too many obligations at home so that I could have that more of a sense of freedom to do that. And um, and often too in in the U.S. Uh, people are, are are very much concerned or afraid from the international news that we read, and there certainly are uh, wars, as we know uh, recently. You know, it's even in Israel, of course, in Palestine, but also Ukraine uh, with Russia, and and there's hot spots around the world, and so we we have to be aware of those danger zones, but not to be afraid. That's the key thing. Don't uh, don't ever let the media make you feel afraid to go to uh, certain countries around the world because most are actually fairly safe and, and actually quite hospitable people in most countries I've been to. Wow. Yeah. So how many countries did you say you've been to? I mean, or did you tell? Yeah. Yeah, you know, it's, it's, uh, it's about 145. I have to do a, an actual count, but... In some of those countries, uh, I've been to many times, uh, Turkey and India and Egypt and lived in Europe for probably a total of, uh, or at least have traveled in, in Europe for a total of uh, at least two to three years. And, uh, and certain countries keep drawing me back. And it's not that I need to go to all 200 or so countries in the world. I think that some people do that, uh, not very many, but a few people try to, to visit every single country in the world. And that's interesting, but it's also sometimes just a, a matter of bragging for those individuals. I think it's uh, much more important to have quality experiences in whatever country you live in uh, or the countries that you visit. It's all about what can you learn, what can you uh share with people in those different countries as a as a kind of a trade and not just to feel like you're just taking all the time when you travel because a lot of people kind of collect places and pictures and uh, things of uh, around the world that uh, just so they can brag about it and uh, wow. I think that's kind of superficial in that sense right exactly exactly you know what fascinates me is that you've taken the filmmaking to a whole new level. Oh, thank um, you. In all these countries. And um, so can you share with us a bit about the filmmaking and, and, and you know, where it started and where it is today? Oh, yeah, very good. 
Yeah, life of filmmaking for me, it was something that I always knew that I wanted to do from uh, the age of 13 on. It was, uh, it's just, and I was a musician uh, before that, playing piano from age eight. So there was always a sense of uh, the arts and uh, music and rhythm and photography was always very important to me when I was young. And uh, my dad won uh, a little eight millimeter camera in some sort of booby prize contest. <laughs> you know, just got an eight millimeter <laughs> camera for, I don't know what, what it was, but he suddenly brought this eight millimeter camera home and I took an instant fascination with that, and I just kind of abducted that camera so hardly anyone else could use it in the family, I suppose. But So I started making one uh, reel after another of little little uh, adventures in the neighborhood with a friend of mine, and uh, we would just make these three, three to six-minute uh, short films of just about usually action things, so, uh, doing stunts and small stories uh, about life in the neighborhood. And then so I won some awards in high school for filmmaking, Oregon Young Filmmakers Award. And that's very encouraging when you can uh, win awards when you're young. It just uh, mm-hmm. solidifies your desires and, and uh, affirmation of what you're doing. And so so I, I always knew I wanted to do that, uh, filmmaking. And, and then travel became a part of that because I was collecting coins and stamps and uh, – from around the world when I was young and reading National Geographic. So it was always kind of imbued in my entire soul or spirit to want to go out there and see what's over the next hill. I'm Bev Moore, and we'll be right back after the break. The season's open for possibilities. And this spring, the outdoors are in. It's time to see the outside, not for what it is, but for all it can be. To go somewhere new, you don't have to log miles. Just open your mind. The place you want to go might be just outside your door. Lowe's. Home to any budget. Home to any possibility. station where the DJ's heart is breaking playing Jones and Merle and Waylon all damn day I'm so sick of doing I need, need a road to so damn windy leads to somewhere no one finds this Chevrolet I need slow and southern like a Sunday like muddy water rolling by a riverbank like some sleepy little town down with the moon living like honey dripping off a spoon like the sun that takes an hour to get behind a water tower about the speed of watching wildflowers grow ain't but two ways this old boy's gonna go slow and southern southern and slow Southern like a Sunday, like 
Take me there and keep it slow and southern like a Sunday, like muddy water rolling by a riverbank, like some sleepy little town down with the moon, living like honey dripping off a spoon. Like the sun that takes an hour to get behind a water tower, about the speed of watching wildflowers grow. Ain't but two ways this old boy's gonna go. And welcome back. No others in my family wanted to do that, though. My mother has never been on an airplane, which is interesting. And uh, my dad was only traveled in World War II, let's say. You know, uh, that's not much travel. It's uh, confrontational kind of travel. But and then my siblings never really had a desire to go to other countries. So I was really the black sheep in the family. But I decided to make a life out of it. And. <laughs> <laughs> and a career. They call you the black and, sheep because you travel. I'm the black sheep. Yeah. It's, <laughs> maybe I fell down a flight of steps and hit my head in a certain way. I don't know. Maybe that was why. <laughs> jogged my mind into doing this. Freud said that uh, travel for men was always uh, about escape from father. I'm not sure if I agree with that, but because uh, my, I don't my know dad was. <laughs> I didn't necessarily want to run away from my father, but. Uh, but he was uh, a very conservative man. He was a really good person, but uh, we didn't get along that well. So I never looked at what he was doing. He was a um, air traffic controller, and that was interesting in its own way. But it was a government job, and and his hours were unusual. So I thought that uh, it wasn't really for me. He didn't really have. Um, much in common. Like I said, we didn't share too many stories together. He never understood why I wanted to do filmmaking. He said, why don't you get a real job? It's something that's safe, you know, and not risky. Uh, and so we didn't, really, it was sort of a, almost an opposite role model in a way. And that's okay. It's no, no problem. Cause I have, uh, I really enjoyed both my parents, especially as you get older, you enjoy, enjoy them much more and appreciate the sacrifices they made to raise that family. But for me, then I uh, went to college and was filmmaking there and television direction. And then I just took off and started contracting with different travel adventure companies around the world. And these are companies that actually operate interesting little small tour expeditions into remote areas of the world, or they might have small vessels that go up exotic rivers around the world. So I contracted with them to to make promotional films for them, and then I would keep all of the footage that I'd shoot, all the material that I'd shoot in these different countries, and then make my own travel programs from that, you see, and then sell them to uh, libraries and schools, different things like that, and, and also getting it broadcast as well eventually. So I decided that was a good career for me to contract with these different companies uh, rather than just work with a larger uh, corporation or something like that. Right. Well, we have to admit, I mean, I know you went down a different path, and but your path is pretty amazing with, you know, when your international shots have been aired on programs uh, yes. appearing on all the major television networks. That's true. I mean, that's right. That's 
that's pretty yeah. proud. I mean, the History Channel, Discovery Channel, yeah, I mean, right. CBS. Wow, that's a lot to brag about. Well, there's there's some really uh, thing, things I can be very proud of, you know, and that's, well, that's another thing, Bev, too, that I, I, I sort of tacitly or maybe admitted to myself very early on that I wanted to be proud of all the different programs and all the different productions I was involved with uh, and not have to apologize to friends or family about, oh, I, you know, I, I did this commercial for, you know, about these uh, Procter and Gambles or making tires or, or, or you know, different things, different or, or car commercials. I just never really wanted to do that sort of advertising filmmaking. And so I always wanted to be very, very proud of, uh, of everything that I produce uh, so that I could show that to uh, friends and family and audiences and not have to say, oh, I, I you know, I had to make these compromises. So I, I really always felt I didn't want to make any compromises and and show show these countries and cultures and geography from my perspective. I and and also to try to show it, I think, generally as beautifully as possible because something in my nature wants to actually show these places uh, for the beauty that they have, and also to show the creativity and imagination that uh, men and women have had throughout history to actually create beautiful examples of architecture around the planet, as you well know, and every country has unique architecture that, and also the arts that are something that uh, I just wanted to highlight those things, especially in my work and not really focus on all the negative things because it's too easy to uh, criticize, right? Mm -hmm. Yes, it is. So I felt, yeah. And I felt for some reason that's an innate uh, sort of, you know, in the DNA feeling to want to show these places in, in their best light without, without whitewashing it either. That's the other thing. You don't want to, go down the other road of propaganda or, uh, you know, just showing only the positive things. Because I've done my share of uh, documentaries that are fairly hard-hitting, you know, about life in India and who controls the water and land and how unfair things are. And also I've done movies and documentaries about human trafficking, really, in the background, which is a horrible story worldwide. I'm Bev Moore, and we'll be right back. After the break. Have a sprite and cheer for Sonia.
Welcome back. And so there's so many sad and unfortunate things you could document around the world. Obviously, there's it's an endless. Oh, absolutely. Um, thing. Absolutely. Yeah. So, well, but it does make you a different a different person. It really does when you see when you see what's going on around the world. It has to. Um, yes. Let's let's talk about your feature film. You know the the first American movie shot, the one in Cambodia. Um, oh, good. Monsoon Lover. Yes, Monsoon Lover. It's um, I shot that in uh, 2002, and that was oh, it's been 20 years now, but at least 20 years or so. And see, I, I'd always uh, been in love with Southeast Asia. There's something about those countries in Southeast Asia, Thailand, Laos, Cambodia, Vietnam, places like that, that have a, a Buddhist background uh, in their spiritual um, makeup, if you will. So Buddhism and and the Tao, if you will, uh, which is kind of appreciation of nature and the forces of nature and so on. There's something about that that just makes people really, uh, I just enjoy being with them. They have a sense of fun. They have a sense of uh, a lack of guilt about things that they do in life. They just go about the life in the sense of why would you do something if it's not enjoyable, you know, just do things that as best you can that, that are enjoyable and so I love being in Southeast Asia, and also the uh, uh, the temples there are just really fascinating. The food is delicious. Uh, again, the people are just so uh, so delightful to be with. Uh, I just like it so much. And, and the geography is incredibly beautiful, from the islands, the mountains, the forests, and so on. And so, uh, so I wanted to do something in uh, Southeast Asia. I was, had done other travel programs up until 2002. And then I decided, well, let's let's try to do a movie. So I wanted to uh, start off with my movie career, a feature filmmaking career, with a movie in Cambodia, which is an unusual and probably pretty odd choice. It's not maybe the wisest choice to do a feature film in Cambodia because truly most people don't really care about Cambodia in, in the U.S. It's not something on the radar very much, and it's sometimes connected to uh, the Vietnam War sometimes connected to that movie, The Killing Fields. There's a lot of tragedy in the uh, recent history of Cambodia, uh, as you know, mm-hmm. from uh, the Vietnam War. Half the population right. died. And so I thought, well, you know, I still am attracted to Cambodia. I wanted to do a story about the human trafficking uh, issues and problems there. Uh, but I didn't want to do a documentary, so I, I wrote uh, a first draft of a script having to do with four Americans that travel to modern-day Cambodia and then just get in over their heads with the, uh, the troubles and, and, uh, that can happen if, if one of the party gets involved with that uh, sex trade there. And that's the case with one of the characters. He does get involved, and it becomes a, a big controversy and a, a love triangles involved in, in the movie story. And it was a huge challenge because we took uh, about 20 of us from the U.S. over to Cambodia. And it was, uh, it was uh, something that it's a story the government there does not want told because they get a cut uh, from all of the sex industry the government does quietly under the table. They get a percentage of the uh, profits from that. So it's not a story yeah. they wanted to be told, right? So we had to go in uh, 
not in disguise, but we just said we were part of a bike tour of all things of Cambodia. And so fortunately, all of our luggage was not thoroughly examined because we said we were part yeah. of the uh, tourism group. And we went about making that movie very quietly under the radar because it was definitely not something that they wanted that story told from an official point of view. So it was, a, it was a challenge. It was a trial by fire for everyone on the team. It was about 35, 40 days of shooting there in Cambodia. Now, a lot of different locations from the capital to the great monuments of uh, Angkor Wat there along the Mekong River. We did shooting there as well in the temples and the cities. We shot inside these uh, uh, very unfortunate conditions in the uh, brothels there as well. Some of our cast, uh, supporting cast, were young women that actually, unfortunately, were contracted to be sex workers with these uh, terrible brothels. You know, it's a contract. They have to work as a sex worker for three years, and they don't really have a choice of who their clients are going to be. See, So it's a, a very, very sad thing, but we hired some, a few of these uh, young women. They were 15 to 18 years old. It's just uh, horrible to, to see some of the conditions there. So we hired them uh, at a much higher rate than their, uh, of course, usual rate of pay. And it was very difficult for us on the, uh, the team, production team, and some on the crew in particular, to say goodbye to them after each day of shooting because we knew that they would have to just go back to their terrible work, you know. And uh, that was emotionally very difficult. Yeah. I'm Bev Moore, and we'll be right back after the break. It's O'Rewards Member Appreciation Month at O'Reilly Auto Parts. Stop in today and check out store-wide savings, plus earn double points on over 225 items. It's our way of saying thank you. If you're not already a member, sign up today during O'Rewards Member Appreciation Month. It's fast, easy, and free. O'Reilly Auto Parts. Better parts, better prices every day. Oh, 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 O'Reilly Auto Parts.
welcome back. Well, what about your two other, the multi-award winning thriller features? Oh. Uh, you've got Egyptian Affair, and yes. the one that really stuck out was Amazon Queen, because yes. it's enjoyed approximately 10 million views throughout the world. Right. Right, and uh, we're really delighted about that, Bev, because uh, these uh, three feature films, dramas I've made, uh, as you mentioned, one in the Amazon, uh, the recent one is in Egypt, Egypt Affair, but Amazon Queen we shot and uh, made that one two years ago, and that was uh, still in COVID times, so we were, uh, we were not maybe thinking that wisely to go down to the uh, Brazilian Amazon to shoot a movie because they were suffering tremendously in Brazil from COVID uh, victims. So, but I decided, look, uh, I just didn't want to be shut down completely from, uh, from my work that I normally do, uh, production and lecturing around the country. So I said, look, let's just do a movie. Let's just uh, be brave, take a, a team of intrepid people, actors and crew, 20 of us, and went down to the Amazon and made this movie uh, right in the heart of the, uh, the jungle and river in Brazil, uh, just outside of the city of Manaus, it's called. So you fly into a city, which is right in the heart of the Amazon. There are no real roads going into the city. You have to fly in or boat into Manaus. And so I had done a, a, a promotional program for a travel company down there in Brazil, and Mark Baker is an American who owns a, a riverboat, a beautiful triple-decker riverboat right there in the Amazon. It's only got uh, nine cabins or something. So it's really intimate, great experience to go uh, down part of the Amazon in this riverboat. And so I decided uh, we'd talk to Mark and I about doing, well, we should do a movie down here someday because it's a, a beautiful platform, like a stage, to have a drama set upon on his vessel, on his boat. And then you uh, go out into the forest uh, for more of the story and so on and so forth. So we, I wrote a, a, a script with a, a friend of mine, Rick Coles, and we decided to launch this movie. And these are very small budget movies, Bev. They're under half a million dollars. So we don't have any uh, name actors in these three movies I've done, which uh, I would very much love to work with a, uh, a true name actor. Uh, there's no doubt, but that would cost, three times our budget or more. And so we've never been able to quite get a name actor yet. That's our next uh, next movie will be, I think, have some kind of a notable or name actor in it. And that'll be shot mm -hmm. in Madagascar. So, but the Amazon is, as you, as you know, Bev, it's just uh, one of the great experiences of a lifetime. I've been up and down the river twice on different uh, expeditions, uh, travel companies, and it's uh, the fauna of the floor is so diverse. And it, it it's a humbling experience because you realize that if you just left that riverboat and started walking out into the forest, uh, you would probably be dead within uh, three days. You just, the forest will just literally eat you up. And you don't, I don't have any survival skills about how to, uh, you know, get food and uh, what, you know, what water is safe to drink or anything, because once you get away from the river, uh, it's very difficult to f actually sometimes find water, So, which mm -hmm. is surprising in a rainforest, right? But uh, And then, of course, the the insects will come after you. There's <laughs> millions of little creatures that are just waiting to devour you out there. So it's a, it's a 
It's a horrible thought, and it's a beautiful thought as you stand on the deck of a riverboat and look out over this vast expanse of uh, rainforest and marvel to beauty, but also consider how vulnerable you would be out there. So that was a movie we made two years ago, and it's, as you mentioned, it, it has about 10 million views worldwide on different streaming platforms yeah, uh, like the two B TVs and uh, Pluto and uh, Hulu and different ones, Voodoo. There's all these different uh, streaming platforms now, as we all know. And so you try to get your movie out to as on as many streaming platforms as possible to try to uh, appeal to different audiences that have a certain preference for one channel or another. So that's well, what we do. We we make these independent yeah, movies. I'm just. Yeah, I just I just wanted to bring all that up because there's so much to mention, and this is only a glimpse. I'm just letting <laughs> yeah. the audience know it's just a glimpse of Marlon. I'm Bev Moore, and we'll be right back after the break. Jake from State Farm. I really want that personal price plan, so I'll admit it. I'm a bath bomb guy. Dude, you do not need to get that personal. The State Farm Personal Price Plan simply helps you create an affordable price just for you. For real? Who's ready for their jazz bath? No. <laughs> Who is that guy? Jazz bath? Call or click to get a quote today. Like a good neighbor, State Farm is there. Got me thinking about the ways I can make it all happen Late at night, I'll be dreaming with the dreamers While I'm getting by, wishing I could fly I know that when times get hard We could turn away, try to hide our scars Gotta shoot for the stars, we can make them all odds Even when I'm miles away, I'll be coming home Oh, I'll be coming home Close enough to hurt you And in this world, patience is a virtue So feet don't fail me now The spotlight's on Standing right in front of the crowd They're screaming Somebody pinch me, I'm dreaming I'm putting work in Until they close the curtain Then I'm coming home Oh, I be coming home
turning your backs against the wall I will never let it fall, never let it fall I know if the bridge is burning there's no hope left at all And welcome back. Thank I'm you. going to mention a few more things, and then I'm going to ask you one last question. Um, but I'm going to just bring up a few more highlights about you and your productions. But they have screened and won top awards at more than 110 national and international film festivals from Rome to New York and Los Angeles. Um you uh, recently traveled, uh, not traveled, but received the Travel Adventure Cinema Magazine's Bertrand, I, I believe you pronounce it that way, Holmes yes. Award for Best Travel Film Showcase. Right. Um, yes. And then one thing that really caught my eye was the producer at National Geographic. Uh, said that if I could get or could trade eyeballs with anyone in the world, it would be Marlon. He has seen some of our world, more of our world than anyone I have ever met. And that includes hardcore travelers (laughs) at National Geographic who are a dime a dozen. He lives the life I can only dream of. I just thought that was so sweet. That was just the <laughs> sweetest thing for someone to say. Um, it's a very, so very nice me, quote. It, it, it really is. Uh, so I just want to ask you one last thing before we close the interview. What is your biggest takeaway from your lifetime of journeys across the world? Uh, the biggest takeaway... Well, number one, uh, I would say that um, it's an interesting thing to say, but I'm going to say this. It's uh, hospitality. If you try to boil it down to uh, one word, I would say that uh, as a traveler, especially if you're traveling alone, uh, people around the world, at least in these 140, 50 countries I've been to, people around the world look at you with a lot of sympathy as a solo traveler because they 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 just can't help but offer hospitality to you if you get and especially in the smaller places of the world smaller towns and villages uh and get away from the big international cities but when you get into the Mm -hmm. countryside the smaller villages people have a lot of sympathy for you because they just are concerned about you They, they they're wondering are you married you know are you away from your family uh do you have kids uh Aren't you lonely? Are you? Uh, what happened to you? You know, it's uh, and and their heart kind of goes out to you in some ways. I find that to be very, very encouraging in a um, yeah. conflict 
rune world. Isn't that interesting in that sense? It's it's amazing. It's so amazing how their people. hearts their hearts go out. Their hearts go out to you. And I really and, uh, I really find that encouraging. Yeah. Absolutely. And and that is a huge takeaway. It is a big one, and I've uh, stayed with, oh, God, I, I suspect hundreds of uh, people and families in different countries, hundreds of them, because I've, uh, I'm also part of a international host and traveler organization that is uh, in about 100 countries, and you can stay with hosts in 100-some countries, for no, and no money's exchanged. You stay with people for uh, two nights, three days, it's an organization that was founded uh, out of uh, by the Danish uh, people, by the Danes after World War II, to try to advance uh, international understanding between peoples after the war was obviously such a, a critical point of focus for them to try to avoid wars as much as we can. And so I, I, I'm a part of that organization. It's a non-governmental organization, and it's a... Uh, it's very informal. You contact people. You get a list of people once you uh, sign up and and uh, fill out an application with them. And, and you can stay with people throughout India, throughout uh, Europe, throughout uh, the U.S., South America, all these different countries throughout the world. You can find hosts. You can pick and choose who you want to stay with, uh, from young to older people, any any walk of life, any occupation, and you learn a tremendous amount. So beyond the film production aspect of my life, uh, meeting people and staying with them from uh, from these different countries is just fantastic because then you can see the place from an insider's point of view versus just strictly as a tourist. Oh, what a great story. Thank you for sharing that, Marlon. That is, that is Thanks, great man. to hear. And that should encourage nice. people listening to travel, you know, get out and travel the world and, so. and you know, share stories and, Get to know yeah. one another. Yeah. I think so. And the sooner they travel in life, the better, too. That's one other thing that I wanted to mention. If uh, people listening, if you have the kids and or grandkids, if you can possibly uh, try to encourage them to travel as young as as possible, that will stay with them for the rest of their lives. See, they will not have as much fear and uh, they'll have more concern for other people around the world if you start traveling when you're young, as a teenager even. And uh, then, then the place, then the world is not a foreign place. It's, it's, uh, you see things in the news and you go, oh, I can relate to those people in, uh, in Thailand or, or Russia or Ukraine or the Middle East or, or South America. Then you can say, oh, I was there. You know, that's, I'm really concerned about this. I want to learn more. What can I do? So I find that to be wow. very, very encouraging uh, if people can do that when they're young and then stay with it. Absolutely. So let me ask you this. Um, best place to find you if people want to just look you up and find out anything they want to about you? You have like a, oh, you you have like a website. Yeah, right? I've got a website, Bev. And you know what? The easiest thing I always tell people uh, with Google or any of these search engines, I'm the only Marlon Dara, I think, in the world, <laughs> because if you just enter my name, uh, you know, Marlon Dara, and the spelling, you could probably it's uh, get that M-A-R-L-I-N, last name D-A-R-R-A-H. Just enter that in Google, and it'll it'll uh, and a you're lot everywhere. Of sites come up. <laughs> yeah, a lot of sites will come up. Yeah. Yeah, I so know. I, I know. Out. I looked you up. 
I looked you up, Marlon. I can back it up. So <laughs> just you. type in just type in M A R L I N Dara D A R R A H. Okay. Right. Well, thank you so much, you. Marlon. Thanks, thank you Bill. so much for this interview. I have just had a blast. Just and a blast congrats. talking to you. Thanks. I, I too have had a lot of fun and congrats on your work too. You've you bring a lot of interesting people to the, the fore and so that people can uh, learn about, oh, just intriguing individuals everywhere. So good, good for you, Bev, for doing what you're doing. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. I'm Bev Moore, and we'll be right back after the break. Hope you've enjoyed this program and will tune in for many more. Until next time, take care. <laughs>